I want to let you in on a little secret. Some of you already know this. I am a doodler. I'm a godly doodler. I draw shapes all the time, especially when I'm in meetings where sometimes important things are being said, but most often not. And in order for me to maintain my listening capability, I like to draw. It really does help me to concentrate on what I'm hearing. And so when I found out that we were going to do this series uh, called Elementary that has to do with shapes, I got really excited because I have drawn every one of these shapes. And shapes are important. And so I know that I can define the one shape that they've given me. It's probably the simplest of all shapes. It's the triangle. But the triangle does reflect the relationship that Jesus had with the Father, with his disciples, and with the multitudes. So that's what we want to talk about today. There's one thing about the triangle. Now, you're thinking a normal triangle, aren't you? You're thinking a triangle that has all three sides that are equal. I probably can't draw it that exact, but I'm going to try here, and I'm going to draw what we would call an equilateral triangle, where all three sides are the same. We're going to talk about a relationship in each of these areas. We talk about the up as being a relationship with the Father. We talk about the in as a relationship, not only in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but with one another. And we're talking about the out as a relationship with the world. Up in and out. This is the balanced life that Christ lived. He lived it in relationship with his Father. He lived it in relationship with his disciples. And then he was driven by his own purpose to go out into the world, taking these disciples with him to see other lives changed. Well, here's the problem. I don't think any one of us here listening today, watching today, are in this perfect equilateral triangle relationship. I think we have some problems in it. So I want to talk about two other triangles to begin with. One is called the scalene triangle. And that is where none of the sides are equal. That's probably the one I can draw the best because it is simply one that goes like this and like this and like that. They almost look equal, so let's not make them equal. Here we go, like this. Now you have up, in, and out. But you see the imbalance. The problem is this. In this scalene relationship, up means that you are spending the majority of your time in worship of the Father. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Worshiping God is what we were created to do. And so we, we have this beautiful relationship with Him that's up. But we have no interpersonal relationships with one another, therefore no accountability that Aaron talked about last week. And we have no desire whatsoever to take this information that we know about God out to the world. So we're living an imbalanced life. We're living a life that truly has a relationship with God through Christ, 
but it's never going to be at the level it needs to be. You'll never be a fully credited disciple when you're imbalanced like that. Then we move to the other possibility. Well, what if you're only an in-related disciple? Well, that means that you have built wonderful relationships in fellowship with one another. You don't really worship much, but you certainly learn a lot. You have a lot of head knowledge and you have a lot of fun. We used to say it's us for no more, close the door. That you have these people who get together, which is a great thing. We call them groups. And the groups get together, but they haven't been in worship with the Father, so they have nothing to draw down in the relationship with one another. And they have no desire to open their door to go back out and do anything in the world. So again, an imbalanced relationship. Nothing wrong with being in the inn, in the relationship with Christ, abiding in Him. But without that worship of God, without that effort to take that information out, it's imbalanced. Then you have that third one, which is totally out. And that's where your, your passion and your compassion to meet the needs of others, which is fantastic, okay, is living on its own. You're not being sent by anyone. You don't have anyone helping you go out. You're not talking to anybody about it. And you haven't even asked God in worship of Him to find out whether this is something He wants you to do or not. Now, I don't know that I've ever found myself in that big of an imbalance where only one was important. But I certainly have found an imbalance where I have gone with the isosceles triangle, which has two sides that are equal, but a third that is not. So let's, let's try that for a second. So we have these two sides that are equal, and this side that is not. Again, here's our up, here's our in, here's our out. Let's look what those appear to be. If you are up and in, you never move beyond your relationship with God and one another to take it out. It's very selfish because what you're doing is you're, you're holding on to this love of God that you have and this relationship with one another and saying, that's enough. I don't need to take this out. I'm not responsible. I can't do evangelism. I hear that quite often. So it's not a proper balance. Then we look at what about up and out? What if you are doing up? What if you are doing out? but you're not doing in. Well, now you're worshiping God and you're running out and taking care of everybody else. But you're not involved with a group of people who can help you take care of yourself and, and get that feed that you need where you're able to feed off one of another and then you take the information you've got, you're abiding in Christ and you go out. The last option in this isosceles triangle is in and out. And that's where you're in a relationship with one another and you're taking what you know out, but you're doing it without the worship of God. I call that the social gospel. That is where we are doing good things for good reasons, but without the power of the Holy Spirit anointing them. Because you see, the up is what gives you the Holy Spirit. When you're in that relationship with God the Father and you're abiding in Christ in the end, then He is supplying the Holy Spirit who then is going to take you to go out. So again, I'd say 
more than likely each one of us is, is wanting in one or more of these areas. So, let's see what God wants us to do. I want to go to the minor prophet Micah. Most famous passage in the book of Micah is found in chapter 6, verse 8, where the question is asked, What does God require of you? I love this statement because it's really a, a capsulated statement of how we are to live. It is our up, our in, and our out. Here's what he says. What does God require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. He just turned our up, in, and out upside down because walk humbly is the relationship that's up. Okay, to do justice is the relationship that's out, and to have mercy uh, is that relationship that is with one another where we're caring for one another. So I want to talk about those for a few minutes. How about the up, walking humbly with God? I've known through the years some wonderful, very interesting, and sometimes well-known Christian leaders. Uh, many of them have just been excellent men and women. Some have been pride-filled. Some have been humble. Perhaps the most humble man I ever met in ministry was a man by the name of Reverend Sam Patterson. Mr. Pat, as he was affectionately known, founded Reformed Theological Seminary back in the early 70s. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. When he retired, he bought a Chinook which is a little truck with a camper on top of it. And he began going all over the nation, living in that little truck, visiting all of the pastors that had graduated from the seminary and speaking at their churches for free. This is how he spent his retiring years in his 70s and in his 80s. I remember that he came to Ward Church in Livonia, Michigan to visit us at my invitation. He pulled his little camper into our driveway, and we were just thrilled. Uh, here was this mighty man of God that was coming to our home. And he came in, and he sat down at our table, and we began talking, and we reminisced a little bit about my days in seminary, which had been fairly recent. And I said to him, well, Mr. Pat, let me ask you a question. With these years, 40 or 50, that you've been in ministry, what would you do differently if you could? He said, I would pray more. He said, I would spend more time in prayer with the Father. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, and I'm putting these words in his mouth. I don't feel like I had the balance in the triangle with the up. I need more time to download from God what he wants me to do. And to do that, I need to worship Him in all the forms we call worship. Not just worship through music, but worship through reading the Word, worship through prayer. He said, that's what I would do. And I think that's something that we need to focus on a lot, is we need that relationship with God our Father. He's a triune God. Isn't it interesting that the triangle actually could also be talked about in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It could be talked about a body, soul, and spirit that you and I have. So there is a dimensional concept to this, and God wants us to create a culture in which we move 
so that our relationship to Him comes first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So with that understanding then, we have this, this beautiful relationship with Him. Tozier said this, God formed us for His pleasure and so formed us that we as well as He can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious singing of kindred personalities. He meant us to see Him and live with Him and draw our life from His smile. I really like that. That God is smiling down upon us when we are in that pure relationship with Him, when we have accepted the forgiveness that is ours, so that without guilt I go into His presence. And, and if I have some guilt because I am guilty, then I confess those sins and know that He has forgiven me. And yet here I am, and He's smiling down on me, and that brings Him pleasure, which then in turn gives me pleasure. Someone said this, when you inhale the Father's presence, you exhale the Father's will. So when you inhale His presence, when you're constantly in His presence, then you have the gifts and ability to be able to exhale what God wants you to do with life. I believe that up is first and foremost. That without that vertical relationship being right with God, the horizontal relationships suffer. We still have them, but they won't be as strong if we don't have the up. Well, what about the in? Jesus created the first group. You know, he invited 12 guys to come, and he already knew one of them was rotten. But he did that that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He says that later in his talks. But he created this group. Why? To prove a point, we were created to be in relationship. Jesus himself has been in an eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So just think for a moment how bizarre it must have been for him to humble himself and leave that relationship that he had known in order to become that which he had created. It's mind-boggling to me. And yet here he is, willing to do this so that we might be saved. So he created this group of men for what purpose? Well, I think he wanted to train them. He wanted to teach them what love was. He wanted to teach them the power that was available to them teach them unity and how to be one in mind and in purpose, and he wanted to send them. He did not create this group that they might just do in. He didn't create the group that they would simply worship him. Because what does he say in the Great Commission? Go, make disciples. So Jesus had this about him. He gathered others to strengthen them, teach them, care for them, and send them. John 15, Jesus explained, He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you're supposed to produce fruit. Now that fruit is produced not simply among ourselves, but it's produced outside of ourselves. So that when we are doing that which God has downloaded to us, <clears throat> and we're doing it in communion with one another, we will see fruit. There will be some evidence out there that something has happened. Now, when you don't see the evidence, you go back to the beginning and ask God what you've done wrong, what's not right. You go to your group and find out. Doing group is the right way because doing group is loving mercy. Groups are, are built like that. 
in my first year as a believer, uh, that's what sold me on the whole thing. I was an independent loner, undercover agent. You know, you don't talk to anybody, and if you do, you lie. I mean, that's what life was all about. And yet when I got saved, God put my wife and me into these groups of relationships, mostly with couples that were older than we were, who began mentoring us, who began telling us about the basics of Christianity, who opened up a whole new world and life view for us. Uh, I don't know how I would have learned that from books. I don't know how I would have absorbed that just from listening to preaching or going to churches. I needed the interaction. I needed the face-to-face so that I could ask the questions and get the answers. And, and that's what group does. Well, when I went to seminary, I remember at the end of the first quarter, we were on a quarter system, I sent my grades back to my church and my pastor wrote me back and said, that's good, did anybody get saved? Because he was more concerned that I was doing the out and he wanted to know what I was doing about it. Well, let me tell you what had happened. When we first arrived at the seminary, my wife met a couple of girls young women who were married, and in talking with them, she found out they were both believers, but their husbands were not. And so she said, well, why don't we start meeting together? So we created a group the first week we were in Jackson, Mississippi. Within three months, the two young men had accepted Jesus Christ. So I was able to reply back to him, uh, yes, of course people got saved. You know, these two guys came to Christ. And that's, that was that group, and that group was just a beautiful way for them to begin to understand the Christian faith. Are you in a group? Here are your options. Start one or get in one. Because otherwise, you're going to have the imbalance. You may have that wonderful worship of God. We offer that here at the church all the time. But we also offer the groups. Because in those groups, you're going to find everything you need to continue your growth, to be loved, to learn how to love, and to deal with those difficult situations. I'm sure right now in the, the world in which we're living that groups are finding themselves um, more effective than ever because there sure are a lot of people out there who are hurting, who need the mercy that we know how to show. So you need up, you need in, you need to abide in Him. But you also need out. That's how we do justice. You're connected to the Father. You're connected to the Son. You're connected to one another. Now you need to be connected to the Spirit because it is the Spirit of God who leads you when you go out. And going out affects the culture. We are of the kingdom of God. We are the ones who have the truth about what culture should be. The culture that we see today around us is not the culture God wants. How's it going to change through us as we download what God wants in our worship of Him, as we talk about it in our times together as groups, and then as we go off into this world to look? We offer acceptance to a world that's filled with rejection. We need to do that. People are being rejected right and left. How do we do it? Well, we need a purpose as a group. 
And that purpose has to be more than fried chicken and Bible study and praying for one another. It needs to be something that takes us out. In 2005, pastoring in another church, I was in a group. There were 10 to 15 people in the group, depending on who showed up every week. Um, a few singles and a lot of couples. We had a wonderful group. And I wondered, God, how are you going to use this group? Because we were in the group for seven years. Well, about the third year into the group, I really knew the people now. And we had a strong up. We had a really strong in. But I didn't feel like we had done much yet with the out. Now, I didn't use those terms at that time. But I felt like something's missing. What should we be doing? At that particular time, Linda and I had a prayer walk ministry. And I don't know which of the years it was, but for seven years, we walked from Algonac on the east side of Michigan to Lake Michigan on the west side. 213 mile walk. Uh, we didn't do it in one day. Uh, we took our time doing it, but we did it. Well, some friends of ours said, listen, when you get west of Grand Ledge, there's a little town called Sunfield. And it's a tiny little place, but there's a young Christian woman who bought a 100-year-old house. And she has turned the downstairs of that house into a coffee shop and a little deli. I would love for you to stop in and just say hi to her. So we said, sure, we will. So on our walk, we finally arrived at that point. We timed it so that we'd be there around lunchtime. And we went into this really well done, beautiful, restored place with a wonderful coffee shop, good coffee, good sandwiches. And the owner was there. She was in her late 20s and she talked to my wife and she said, you know, my roommate's moving out, getting married. I'm going to have to leave the apartment. And in two weeks, I have to move and I'm going to move upstairs. And I thought, well, that's, that's a good plan. You know, a lot of people have their businesses here and then their, their homes upstairs. And so she said, let me show you. Well, we went up and she opened the door. Here is an attic in a hundred-year-old building. The bricks that are on the outside were the ones that you saw. There's no insulation, no heat, no electricity, no plumbing, no drywall. There's nothing. It's just an attic that has been totally unfinished. And Linda turned to her and said, exactly how are you going to do this in two weeks time? She said, well, I'm gonna pray. Of course, that got my wife's attention immediately. And she said, well, we will pray also. So when we left there, we started praying and as we were walking, God said to me, this is the purpose for your group. And I'm thinking, nah, probably not. You know, really? So I called one of the men in the group and I told him the situation. I won't go into all the details. Two weeks later, she moved in to a complete apartment, fully built out, all the electricity, all the plumbing, all the utilities. The kitchen was finished, the appliances were there, the tub, the shower, the toilet, the sink, everything was there. The only thing that had to be done had to be painted. And our group did it at their own expense as well as in two weeks time. And when we finish, this young girl said, I guess this is what the church is all about. 
And I'm thinking, wow, if, if I never get to do group again, at least I had one successful opportunity to see what it means to do group. Now, it doesn't have to be that elaborate. You know that. Maybe there's someone who has a need. I know a friend of mine in the Detroit area right now is now an amputee. He lost one leg and his wife wanted to build a ramp. And he's saying, uh, we can't afford to build a ramp. It's going to cost thousands of dollars. Well, God has spoken to me to call some people at a church I know who are in a group. And I'm going to say to them, why doesn't your group take that and go build this man a ramp? Now, so what is your group doing? Have, have you looked around at this interesting time of life to see what the needs are? To be able to reach out? You can do it through social distancing. You don't have to get into dangerous situations. But group is essential for outreach. And outreach is essential to expand the kingdom and build the culture of discipleship that we want to build. That's what God is calling us to do. So much information in a little geometric design. It's truly elementary, isn't it? So I want you to draw your own triangle in your mind right now or on paper. Put the up, the in, the out. And then I want you to take the scale of 1 to 10. 10 being Jesus. So don't write a 10. But somewhere between 1 and 10 on each of the three sides of the triangle is where you're residing right now. And you know, and I know for myself, that I need to move up that line a little bit more in some of those areas. But you have to be honest with yourself. Well, let me tell you the best way to do that is to share it with someone. Where? In a group. Don't have a group? Join a group. Don't have a group? Start a group. But get into a group where you are able then to be discipled by others as you disciple them and be able to take this information out reach a group conclusion to strengthen one another in every area and go and become godly doodlers. Okay, let's pray. Lord, life is not as complicated as we would like to make it. As Aaron spoke to us last week, he said, what do you want us to do? Uh, now let's go do it. Let's make a plan. So Lord, we're asking you to give us the plans to increase our relationship with you, our Father, with you, our Savior, and with you, Holy Spirit. Increase it so that we can have uh, a balanced life of living for you. And Lord, give us that privilege of reaching those that you sought, uh, the lost, Lord. Help us to reach them, to bring them into the fold of the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your patience with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you modeled everything we've talked about. Help us, Jesus. We cry out in your name. Amen.